All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to provide insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 91 of the Biohacker Babes. I am Lauren, joined by my sister, Renee. Hey there. Via Zoom across the country. We are bringing on an amazing guest for you today, Colleen Cutliffe of Pendulum Therapeutics. She is, I'm just going to save it for the interview. I don't want to give it away, but she's amazing, amazing, amazing. We're talking about microbiome and blood sugar today. This topic is blowing both of our minds and we're just so happy to share this interview with you today. Yeah, I don't want to say too much. Anything I know, add, Renee. <laughs> no, I think we we had an amazing opportunity to totally pick her brain today and ask so many great questions and I learned a lot from her. So yeah, I don't want to give it away. Definitely you got to stay in there for the whole episode. It's awesome. Yeah, I'll just say that I know we've been spending a lot of our time and energy talking about blood sugar, and this is just a step so far beyond and bigger than that. We've been tackling part of the issue, but the big issue here is microbiome, and I think you will all learn quite a bit from this interview. So, Renee, you want to share her bio? 
Yes. Colleen Cutliffe, PhD, is the co-founder and CEO of Pendulum Therapeutics, a biotech startup in San Francisco. The company's mission is to fill the gap that exists between supplements and prescription drugs. In this middle ground, Colleen envisions a future where medicines are derived not from chemistry, but from the microbiome. One of nature's greatest gifts, the microbiome is an ecosystem of bacteria, viruses, and fungi that lives on and inside the human body and plays a, cr a crucial role in our health. The safety and effectiveness of the company's first microbiome repairing probiotic, Pendulum Glucose Control, is welcome news for more than 120 million Americans living with diabetes and prediabetes. Prominent Silicon Valley investors have taken notice. Sequoia Capital, True Ventures, and Costco Ventures have invested $57 million into Pendulum Therapeutics since 2014. Colleen received a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology from Johns Hopkins University and a BS in biochemistry from Wesley College. She completed her postdoctoral research at Northwestern Medicine's Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. Colleen lives in Menlo Park, California with her husband, two daughters, and two rambunct rambunctious dogs. Awesome. <laughs> I want to be Colleen when I grow up and I cannot <laughs> wait for you all to meet her. So here we go. Here is the interview. Colleen, welcome to the show. We are so, so happy to have you here today. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Today is just a really, really exciting day for us because we get to bring together two of our favorite health topics, the gut microbiome and blood sugar regulation. And I think it's funny because these really are one health topic, but uh, historically on our show, we sort of address them separately and we've gone into detail about them both separately quite a bit. We've never really gotten into the very strong, intimate connection between the two. So I'm so happy that you are here to do that for us. I think to kick us off, we're just like super curious. How did you become so passionate about the gut microbiome, about studying it, about doing all the wonderful things that you're doing today? Get us like where, how, everything. <laughs> well, I think for many of us, there's, you know, things that happen in our lives that really put us on the path of caring deeply about health. And, you know, for me, a long time ago, I realized that health was how I wanted to make an impact. But it wasn't until I had my first daughter that I realized the microbiome and this big opportunity here was, was really going to become a passion for me. And what happened with my daughter was that she was born almost two months premature. And um, when you have a baby that's born that early, uh, you don't just walk out of the hospital with them. Uh, she ended up being in the intensive care unit for the first month of her life. And she was this tiny little thing hooked up to all these monitors and machines but also receiving multiple doses of antibiotics, not because she had an infection, but because that's prophylactic because they are so fragile and they don't want these kids to get infections. And so one of the things I observed about her as she started to get older was that she had these food sensitivities and metabolism of foods that were different from the rest of our family. And the microbiome, this was about you know 10 years ago, was just starting to be this emerging science, really from the academic world. And there were studies coming out showing that antibiotics completely decimate your microbiome and that they can have longer lasting effects than just that momentary decimation of the microbiome. And in particular, in children, kids who are exposed to antibiotics systematically um, end up being more prone to diseases later in life, like obesity, type 2 diabetes, attention deficit disorder, celiac disease, 
allergies, all of these things that are really becoming more and more prevalent in the world around us, and we don't entirely understand why, can be linked to the way that we interact with our microbiome and the way that we might be killing off some of these bugs that are really good for us. And I realized that there was this opportunity if we approached the microbiome like a real science, that we could create products that had the efficacy of a drug with none of the side effects. And for me, when I thought about my daughter and the ability to make a product that could help her, that became just this huge opportunity. And I felt like, well, why not try it? At least, uh, at least give it a shot. And that's what got me starting this company and has me so excited about the space in general. Yeah. I think it is such an exciting topic of research and I'm so happy that you're doing all the work that you're doing. And you just mentioned, you know, about antibiotics. I think a lot of people do think, oh, okay, maybe it wipes me out for a week or two. I'll just take some probiotics and go on my merry way. But I've also heard that potentially, like you said, that that is a lifelong thing. So even one antibiotic use, would you say that alters that microbiome for life? Even one antibiotic treatment can really change you for life. And there's definitely reports of people who have, you know, gone on to an antibiotic and had a bunch of kind of issues that have happened for them that have not really gone away within a few days or a week. Probably some of the common things that we hear are really GI distress or some ongoing inflammation that is somewhat unexplained and also uncurable. Um, things like IBD, uh, people experience sometimes after just having one antibiotic treatment. Um, there is the Clostridium difficile infection that happens as a result of uh, an antibiotic treatment where you might have this strain that now can kind of start to replicate unchecked, it ends up being making you really sick and ultimately uh, is fatal. And that can happen really just from a single antibiotic dose. But I want to be clear, I'm not an anti-antibiotic taker. Uh, antibiotics have <laughs> saved millions of lives. They're super yeah. potent, really relevant for us. But I think what the question we should all be asking our doctors is, do I really need to take this antibiotic? What is it? What can I do to help ensure that these other negative repercussions are, are things that I can counteract, you know, how do I do that? And so I think it's just being a little bit more cautious and aware of what those antibiotics are doing to us. So I have two questions regarding what you just said. Is it possible if we do all of the right things and really personalize a protocol, is it possible to restore gut ecology, the biome with antibiotics, with gut healing supplements? Is that possible? And then can you also explain why children are more vulnerable? Like what happens to the gut as we go through our early years into adulthood. Sure. I mean, I think the, the vision for the microbiome and all the science underlying it is exactly to realize what you just said, which is, can I reconstitute my gut after being on antibiotics, but maybe even more so as I go through things that are changing my microbiome. So there are lots of things that change our microbiome, our diet, the exercise we're doing, when we travel and go to new environments, as we age, for us women, every time we have a menstrual cycle, it changes our microbiome. Certainly as we go through menopause, it really changes it. And so there are all these things that are changing our microbiome. And your question is exactly the question a lot of people are trying to answer, which is how can I ensure that I have a healthy microbiome after going through all of these things or just like being, being in life. And so um, we're at a really early stage in the science. So I can't tell you, I'd love to be able to tell you today. Absolutely. But the answer is, you know, we're not quite there yet, but I do have a lot of hope that we're going to get there. And we are figuring out every day, new things about the microbiome that are going to help us understand what are the things that are going to be helpful for us? What are the functions that we're losing or missing that we really need to pull back into our microbiome? And so I think we're getting there. 
Mm-hmm. When it comes to kids, you know, kids are just more vulnerable in general to anything health related because developmentally everything starts, you know, when you're a kid and then it kind of goes from there. If you kind of remember back to early biology, um, when the sperm first fertilizes the egg, you start with one cell and that one cell becomes an adult. And so all along the way of the developmental path, as those cells are dividing, the earlier on that you're messing things up, the more repercussions that it has later on in life. And so, um, it's like when you're building your house, first you lay down, you know, the foundation, anything you mess up in that foundation, well, you're going to be feeling it for the rest of the time that you live in that house. And so it's really like that in development with children too. And I think that's why those early treatments um, can really impact later life. Yeah. And we we certainly see that our mother and father's health impacts us or even our grandparents' health impacts us. So I think people are more aware of that. Like the day you're born, I mean, you're, you're, you already have so much information going on. So it really is hopefully setting you up for a good, long, healthy life, but you know, cause we can't always change those things. So I'm curious about C-section babies, because this is a selfish question. I was a C-section and I've always wondered, like, did that affect my microbiome? Because Lauren and I are sisters and we still have a lot of differences in our health concerns and our blood sugar regulation. How does the C-section issue set us up? C-sections, we are starting to learn are huge. So there are all these microbes in the vaginal canal so that when you're born vaginally, you get exposed to them. And it really just starts you out with a particular microbiome that over time we've evolved to have that starting microbiome. C-section babies though, don't go through the vaginal canal. And so they end up being born missing a lot of those initial microbes. And there have been a lot of studies showing that C-section babies are more prone to some of these other issues that are now being linked to the microbiome. And there's been some really great work, especially coming out of Johns Hopkins around, you know, what does it mean to be C-section versus non-C-section baby? And I can tell you that some of the people who are really deep in this field that have babies that are born while they're studying the microbiome that are C-section have been known to vaginally swab their newborn babies in order to get them that microbiome that they didn't get because they were C-section. So Mm -hmm. again, I'm not saying that that's what everyone should do, but I'm saying that um, the evidence is compelling enough that, you know, a PhD scientist or a medical doctor is saying, I've got to somehow get these microbes back on my newborn. And that is the future of this science is that rather than you having to go in there and do a pretty crude vaginal swab on your newborn baby, you know, will we be able to create interventions that you can give to a newborn that help them establish their microbiome and keep it that way. And so they can be healthy as they get older. Yeah, that's great. I, (laughs) I wish that they were talking about this back in the eighties when I was born, but I'm going to do the best I can. (laughs) Exactly. I know it's always like, well, how come I got, I I wish that science had been more advanced then, but I'll tell you, even in the course of our company. So my daughter was born prematurely and she got those antibiotic treatments and we learned all this stuff. They were like, we're going to go try to combat this. One of my co-founders had a baby a few years ago, also a preemie, and he basically said no antibiotic treatment. And there was this whole thing you had to go through. You had to sign off and say, I understand what I'm doing. I understand the risk I'm taking. But he was like, absolutely not. Un- unless my kid has an infection, we're not doing antibiotics because of all that we've learned. Yeah. yeah. I- I'm sure that's so hard as a parent. Cause I'm sure you have the doctor saying you have to do this, you have to do this. And if you're not in the health field, you probably feel a lot of pressure, but it sounds like he, he knew a lot cause he was in the industry. So that's a different story. Yeah. 
So Colleen, can you explain to us the, the benefits that the microbiome has on our immune health, on our blood sugar? And if there's something that's sort of like unsettled or unknown at this point, can you, can you share that with us? Like, what do we know and what do we don't, what do we not know at this point? I would say we mostly don't know a lot. <laughs> so <we're, laughs> maybe that's just kind of the state of affairs and health in general. We always feel like we know so much, but really a lot of it's yeah. just black box. Um, yeah. And that's why, you know, we end up experimenting on ourselves because we really don't know. And, and every person is different. And especially this is true with the microbiome. We are just at the infancy of this science. And there is a personalized uh, situation here. We're trying to understand how does each person's microbiome interact with their own bodies and how does that impact their health? So I think here's what we do know. We do know that you have a microbiome inside your gut and on your skin, and it plays a really important role in your health and disease. We do know that when you take antibiotics or use antibacterial soaps or antiseptic wipes, you are really killing all those microbes, both the good and the bad. Um, we know that diversity is important. We know that um, as you age, you kind of lose diversity of your microbiome. As you undergo stress, you lose diversity of your microbiome. And that diversity is important because your microbiome is like a garden. It's really this ecosystem of all these things that are flourishing together. And so as you start to lose different plants, um, your garden is less and less pretty. And so same thing with your microbiome. As you lose functions, it becomes less and less of a powerful microbiome. And so really trying to ensure that we have diversity is important. And then the last thing we understand about the microbiome is that if you transplant a healthy microbiome into a sick person, um, and there's a variety of illnesses in which this has been shown, you can actually make that person healthy again. So somewhere in the microbiome are the keys to unlock parts of human health that we have never experienced before. And so the promise of the microbiome is that somewhere in all that shit, literally, <laughs> there is <laughs> benefit that we need to find that's going to help people with a variety of diseases. And I think that's really the exciting part about this is that, you know, if you throw the kitchen sink at it, you can really help people. Now, can you figure out what are the specific functions that they're missing that we can give back to help with things like obesity and diabetes and allergies and autism and Parkinson's disease, just this wide range of diseases that we never understood there was a whole microbiome target uh, and we never explored it before. Well, and all these diseases that seem, I think, to the masses to be isolated or totally separate from one another, but they're all, they're collective. They're all affected by the biome. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I would say we're starting to realize that all these systems are playing a much bigger role than we realize. And so you said that you guys have done a lot of work on glucose control, which I think is awesome because we are starting to realize that glucose control is not just about how do I avoid getting type two diabetes. It is a fundamental core of your body that you need to have functioning well, that we lose over time. We all remember a time when we could eat or drink whatever we wanted to, and we didn't have to think about it. Um, and then you get to a certain age where you're like, oh, I guess I have to eat less or gee, my workout has to be a little bit harder for me to maintain, you know, what used to be easier to maintain. And so a lot of that we're understanding at the core of it is how your body metabolizes glucose. And so, um, that is such a core part of health. And it turns out that the microbiome is a core part of how you metabolize glucose. And so that link, I think, is becoming um, more and more clear and more and more of a target that everyone should be thinking about. 
I think that's why we're so excited to talk to you because yes, Renee and I have done a lot of testing on glucose and, you know, up until this point, it's been fighting the blood glucose and using herbs like berberine to keep it down, keep it down. But maybe we've been fighting the wrong, I don't want to say villain, but we're, we're looking in the wrong direction possibly. So I'm so excited to dig into this work because we need to take a step back. I think, <laughs> I think maybe yeah. we've been taking the wrong approach. Yeah. Well, so really a new set of tools. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that sounds more positive. <laughs> <laughs> and and so Colleen, so your research, you're really you're doing stool analysis, analyses. <laughs> and are you looking for specific strains to help with blood sugar? Or are you comparing different populations and what's in their gut? Like how how are you discovering these things? Yeah, well, we're really, the whole body really interacts with each other. And so we're not just looking at um, stool samples. We're also looking at blood samples and trying to understand how does what happens in your GI tract affect what's happening in your circulation. And this is really relevant when it comes to glucose and how your body metabolizes it. And it's also relevant when it comes to things like the immune response, because that's where all of your immune cells are really hanging out is in your bloodstream where you can measure them. And so it's important to tie those two things together. And when we started, when we started any of these, it's really about understanding what is the difference even between somebody who's healthy and somebody who's sick? And is there something in what they're missing or maybe what they have too much of that you can point to and say, oh, that actually makes sense based on our understanding of the body and already existing biology, the fact that you're missing that, it makes sense that now you can't metabolize glucose. And in particular, as we started to understand and look at glucose metabolism, we realized that people who are missing microbes that help them metabolize fiber into butyrate are, have type 2 diabetes and prediabetes. And we're not the only ones that have seen that. Lots of people have seen that as well over the last decade that literature has been um, really growing. But why is that important? Well, we all know a high fiber diet is really good for us. We're also eating lots of fruits and vegetables. It's not always easy to do, but we're all trying all the time to do that. <laughs> but your body actually can't metabolize many of those fibers that are beneficial for you. It's entirely metabolized by your gut microbes. And when you don't have those gut microbes, that fiber is literally going right through you. And the, what those gut microbes are doing is they're metabolizing that fiber into butyrate, which is an already upknown modulator of GLP-1 and insulin. And so if you have reduced butyrate production, you have reduced insulin response. And so when we realize like, oh my gosh, people with diabetes are missing these strains that do this metabolism. And that end product of that metabolism is directly linked to insulin control. It just was like a light went off, like, oh my gosh, it's just a matter of giving this back to people. And then similarly, the gut lining and the regulation of the gut lining, if you're misregulated in your gut lining uh, modulation, you have all of these inflammatory diseases, immune responses that you're not supposed to be having. And so that was another aha for us, which is if you have these strains that aren't regulating your mucin lining in your gut, you're going to have all these problems. Let's just give it back to people. So it starts with what are you missing? And then it's, does it make logical sense that missing that would cause this disease? And then the third part is if I give it back to you, can I help you resolve your disease? Hmm. You just sparked an idea. I'm thinking we, you know, we hear that type two diabetes is a genetic, could be a genetic thing, right? You see it in families, the grandparents, the parents, the kids, they all have diabetes and the kids say, oh, I'm going to have diabetes because my parents and grandparents did, right? I was thinking maybe it was more of a genetic issue, but do you think it could actually be linked to the microbiome because there's a similarity as it's passed down from generation to generation? 
Yes. I mean, for sure, diabetes and obesity have a genetic component to them, definitely. But there's also an environmental component. And probably the most compelling evidence that the microbiome is involved is in these, we did a twin study where we looked at twins who where one twin is healthy and the other twin has diabetes or is obese. And we actually compared those twins to each other. And this study has actually been replicated by other people too. And you can see that the twin that has diabetes has a different microbiome than the twin who is healthy. And genetically, they're identical. And so really the difference between having diabetes and not having it can really be pointed to their microbiome and a variety of different things that have shaped their microbiomes differently and resulted in one person being healthy and one person being sick. Wow. Can you share with us, where were they living in separate environments, like in different places of the country and at what age? They were well, yeah, none of them were like living together, which would be the perfect experiment where you're like, do you live together? Right. Do you eat all the same foods? Um, so right, unfortunately, yeah. these were twins who had all gone on to live their own independent lives. Um, and so, and, and diabetes tends to be an, a disease of aging. So you tend to be older. And so there definitely were differences in lifestyle that you could point to, to say, this is why maybe their microbiomes look different from each other. But the core thing is that their genetics are exactly the same. Their microbiomes look different and the sick person had certain strains and functions that they were low or entirely missing that could explain why they were not able to metabolize glucose as well as their twin. Mm -hmm. So I guess we can't just point a finger at, you know, processed food, sugar consumption, insulin sensitivity. It sounds like it's almost a chicken or the egg situation. It's like, was the biome already disrupted, ready to, you know, create this disease outcome? And then we're just like sort of already set up for insulin sensitivity. And then the environmental factors, I'm assuming that like herbicides, pesticides play into this, the water that we drink. It sounds like it's just overly complex. Unfortunately, it is complex, but I would say, you know, to simplify it a little bit, it's not just about what you put into your body. It's about how your body processes that. And we've thought a lot about what you put into your body. We think a lot about nutrition, about good diet, about avoiding processed foods, about purifying our water. We think a lot about that. And only now are we starting to understand how do we think about the second half, which is how your body processes that food. Yeah. So... <laughs> oh my gosh, my mind is just like, I have so many questions. Yes, because so Renee and I, I'm just going to use this as an example. We eat very clean. I'm always like, what can I do to optimize, upgrade my diet? So all of the inputs are clean. And we know there's this highly personalized component where it's like, well, Renee and I, we can have different fruits. Like I can have pineapple, she can't. To most people, that's quote unquote healthy. We have all these healthy foods like kombucha. I can't have that. But you know, it could be good for one person, not for the other. And that's biome based. Is that correct? I mean, essentially, if you had different microbes, uh, or if you had more similar microbes to each other, you might find that you had the same responses to to these foods. Exactly. But potentially, mm -hmm. if I alter the biome or repopulate, diversify, I could then absorb, digest, assimilate these much more, I guess, efficiently. Is that what we're aiming for? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that is that is really at the core of this, which is that your microbiome, the first, when you think about it, you know, you eat food, the first place things go is to your stomach and then into your gut. And so all of these microbes that are sitting in your gut are literally at the heart of how your body metabolizes food. It's not actually us metabolizing it, it's our microbes. And so um, as you get, you know, many of us have started, have developed food allergies as we've gotten older, food sensitivities, um, things where you realize like, oh man, that used to not upset my stomach, but now that upsets my stomach. And it really does have to do with these microbes that are not metabolizing your food the same way that they used to. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. So I would love to get into pendulum a little bit and how that works on the gut. So I think this, I think everyone knows to take a probiotic, right? Like most clients that come to me, they're on a multi, a probiotic and a fish oil. So like the word is out, probiotics are a good thing. (laughs) But, and we had briefly talked about this last time we chatted before we hit record that that's maybe not the answer because we're just throwing in different strains. We're trying to guess what the gut needs. So what makes pendulum different? Is it a different type of strain? Like how is that working in the gut? Yeah, I think probiotics have definitely been effective for people, but maybe what lots of people experience is that a probiotic might be doing something for them and then it kind of stops working and then they kind of try a new probiotic and then it stops working. Or maybe they don't really feel anything and they just feel like, okay, I'm doing something good for my body. And so every once in a while, they'll change it up just to, just to, you know, keep it fresh. Um, but, but really that's kind of a, a, not a science, right? That's not really how we think about science. And so, um, I think it's because we're, when we take probiotics that are on the shelves today, they're really just a, um, a combination of strains and ingredients that have been on the market for literally the last 50 years. There has not been a new microbe introduced to the world for decades. And so you're taking the same, the combination of the same things, uh, you know, kind of over and over again. And so it's a really kind of blunt ended understanding that we have about probiotics today. I would sort of maybe think about it like vitamins, you know, um, when, if you feel like you're coming down with a cold or, uh, you're, you're like, Oh, I, I, it's, it's flu season. I want to make sure I don't get sick. You don't go take vitamin K you take vitamin C and you know, you're supposed to take vitamin C and you know, the difference between these different vitamins and what they're doing for you. And so probiotics is sort of in this early kind of caveman stage where we're like, just take a probiotic. Oh, we don't know which, we don't know what it does for you. When really we want to get to a much more sophisticated place where we say, take a probiotic that's giving you back butyrate production. Take a probiotic that is helping with your mucin regulation. Take a probiotic that's going to alter the pH of your vaginal microbiome to help you with UTIs. Right. And so we're going to get to that more sophisticated place where we know what probiotics are serving, what function, and then, you know, what problem am I trying to solve and what should I take? And that's really where this world is heading. And so taking a probiotic now is fine, but you're kind of hitting it with a blunt ended tool. And I think the future and what we're going to see over the next, you know, 10 years or so are going to be all of these, um, microbiome interventions that are coming out that are very specific. And it's kind of exciting to be at the forefront of that. Yeah. I can almost see like maybe one day you go into whole foods and instead of there being like a whole probiotic shelf, maybe you'll have a probiotic in the cold and flu section and a probiotic in the brain health section and a probiotic in the gut health section or something like that. I mean, I think that's a really exciting thing to look forward to. Totally. Okay. So you've been mentioning butyrate a lot and now I have noticed there's more products on the market that are saying they're postbiotics. So they're like, don't worry about prebiotics or probiotics, just jump to the end and throw the postbiotics in there. What are your thoughts on that? Is it okay to be skipping the steps or are we potentially harming the gut by trying to do that? Well, it's funny, this, this concept of postbiotics, it's not actually that new. So if you go do a Google search for butyrate supplements, you're going to find a ton of butyrate supplements out there, which would be a so-called postbiotic. 
they have worked in lots of animal models, but never worked in humans for the same things they did for animals. So like you, there are a lot of animal studies showing that you can reduce obesity, type two diabetes, improve glucose metabolism with butyrate, but they, they've never been able to translate that into humans. And the question has always been, well, why? Yeah. Why can't I just jump right to the butyrate and give that to myself? And it's all about delivery, which you can deliver to animals in a different way than you can deliver to humans. And so I think about it this way. Butyrate is a small molecule that gets used by a lot of different cells. In fact, in your colon, that is the only type of cells. Colon cells are the only type of cells that instead of using glucose as their main source of energy, they use butyrate as their main source of energy. So every colon cell is excited to absorb butyrate because that's its source of energy. So it's almost like, um, it's like money. So if I said, Renee, um, I owe you a million dollars. I'm going to give you a million dollars. Would you rather me put the million dollars into a suitcase and bring it to your front doorstep and hand that suitcase to you? Or would you rather me say, Renee, I just went out on 101 and I threw it out on the freeway. So why don't you just come on down here and come get it? If I threw it all out <laughs> on 101, everybody would be stopping their cars to pick up those $1 bills or those $10 bills or those $100 bills because everybody wants money. That's the source of, of, of happiness for many of us. That's something you know that we all need. And so it's similar to butyrate. You take a butyrate supplement before that butyrate ever makes it to that receptor that you're trying to get it to, every colon cell is, is eating it up. And so the real problem is the delivery. So it is much harder to deliver the money than to deliver the suitcase. So you really need the carrier of that thing that Thing that's going to produce that end product to be delivered to the right place. Um, and that's really what these microbes are doing. So what we're delivering are the strains that get to the right place in your colon that establish themselves right along that gut lining, produce the butyrate right next to where that receptor is. And that's how it's naturally done. That's how our bodies have evolved to do it. And so that's why it doesn't really work to just take a bunch of butyrate. So how do you make sure pendulum does get to where it needs to be? How does it bypass the stomach acid and get all the way down? Yeah, this is really important. I think a lot of people don't necessarily know this. Um, you can pay extra to buy capsules that are enteric coated. And what that means is that these capsules have a special coating that gets them through the acidity of the stomach so that it actually makes its way into the GI tract. And so if you're looking at the probiotic that you're taking, or you're looking at anything that you're trying to get into your colon, you want to look and see, is it an enteric coated pill? Because without that coating, it's just dissolving in your stomach and not making its way to where it needs to get to. Yeah. And such a waste yeah, of a, money. Yeah. Like, most of the probiotic industry is a waste of money. And I don't think anyone is intentionally trying to waste or to harm, but man, we, I mean, we've done some podcasts on probiotics and it just blows my mind how much is on shelves at stores. It's probably not actually populating your gut in, <laughs> in a beneficial way. Yeah, it is really unfortunate. And I think it's, it's people, um, maybe I'm not going to be quite as kind as you people prey <laughs> on other people, right? There are all of us who believe, okay, my microbiome is important. I'm trying to replenish my body with probiotics, hearing all this data supporting that they can really help. And then you have people who are taking advantage of that growing market. And the mm -hmm. fact that we don't know a lot about probiotics in the microbiome and, and just slapping labels on things, throwing God knows what into their pills and just trying to make a quick buck. So you have a lot of fly-by-nighters in this space. And as it grows and as more people understand the microbiome is important, there are going to be more of these fly-by-nighters. And so it is really important to educate people through podcasts like what you guys are doing to help people understand how do I differentiate between all these things on the shelf that I'm looking at. 
Yeah. And that's such a lesson for everything health related. Like I think our mantra for the last year has been the science is never settled, but some people think it is. And we have to just keep listening and, and, you know, I don't, I don't know. It, just keep listening. I think is the answer sounds like, but um, I'm curious with butyrate about some other ways to produce it other than taking something like pendulum. I know fasting may be implicated. Can you explain if that's possible and how that actually works in the body? Yeah. I mean, your microbiome is metabolizing um, these fibers into butyrate. And so there's a variety of ways in which you can kind of increase the butyrate production. You know, one is our approach, which is to directly uh, give your body the microbes that do that metabolism. Um, there, another method is to increase the prebiotics. So increase the fibers and it's sort of, that's sort of a, a two-step process where you'll increase the fibers and then the strains in your gut that, um, metabolize that fiber into butyrate, that's actually their food. And so it will start to cause those strains to propagate. And so that's another way to increase your butyrate production or the opposite way, which is to try to starve out the other guys. And so again, it's all an ecosystem. So if you're throwing fiber into the system, you're helping the certain strains that you like to flourish, but you can also try this method of, you know, not giving enough nutrients to the other things. And so they'll go down, which, and, and so fasting and things like that are sort of a reset where you're saying, okay, I'm not going to feed you anything. And then what that's going to do is going to allow kind of a recalibration of these strains. And then if you come back in and you say, okay, now I'm going to like reintroduce fiber or I'm going to reintroduce these strains, you can really sort of change the balance so that now in your garden, you're getting more of these things growing. And so, um, you know, things like fasting or even cleanses, those can help you kind of get things restarted. And is that yeah. something that you would recommend when trying pendulum to do, you know, a weekly 24 hour fast? Is there any sort of protocol that you uh, have been discussing at pendulum that would be advised? We can only really recommend exactly what was done in the clinical trial in terms of being able to make any claims about efficacy. But I will tell you this, even before we ran our clinical trial, we heavily debated, should we make everybody fast for a day? Should we have everybody just do a liquid diet for two days before starting in order to kind of get this reset, in order to calm everything down and then introduce the thing that we want to make a change? And we ended up not doing that um, in the study because it felt like, well, we weren't sure people would actually do it. And it felt like we, we didn't really understand enough about the space. And also, I think ultimately, we didn't want people to have to do that in order to be able to experience efficacy from the product. So we didn't design the study that way. That being said, I do think there's some benefit to kind of this reset concept. And especially if you are trying to run an experiment on yourself, rather than just immediately switching to this, kind of doing that reset and then introducing something new into your system and then doing a washout period where you now remove all those things again and see like, did I see a change? And when I washed out and stopped doing those things, do I see a change back to baseline? And that's really the experiment to run on yourself if you're trying to figure out is this doing something for me? Yeah, yeah. Which I guess we should be doing with everything. It's like, if we're going to put something new into our bodies, should we set up, I guess the best experiment possible and try to control the variables to see if it's actually working or not. Makes sense. It's always a great idea, but I find myself often like, okay, but I really do. I really do want to travel <laughs> to this place in this time, or I'm not going to yeah. wear a continuous glucose monitor. Right. So, yeah. um, but we can all intend to run those experiments. <laughs> oh, I am with you. 100%. Yes. I get Self -experimentation. it. Self-experimentation. <laughs> I know it's hard yeah. to only add one thing in and 
not yeah, we get all excited. The yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Life is so exciting. There's too many things to try to just do one at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every day it's something new. <laughs> yeah. So, so Colleen, what are you seeing with testing before and after with people with like fasting glucose, HbA1c, like what has been the big surprise? <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, we, we set out to go after A1C and blood glucose spikes and, um, you know, just super lucky that the first, you know, formulation out of the gates really had the kind of impact that it had, um, both in the clinical trial and then also for our customers. You know, we give free A1C testing at baseline and then three months later, and we actually do it every 90 days um, if you're a membership customer. And that's so that people can really see the data. Is this thing working for me? And so one of the things that we're super excited about is we do see, even in real life, not in a clinical trial setting, people are experiencing lowered A1Cs, lowered blood glucose spikes, and that's all fantastic. I would say the surprise is maybe something that won't be surprising to you guys, but surprising to, to us is all the other benefits that people experience and they come back with. So for example, we have nine out of 10 customers have um, improved A1C, but also nine out of 10 customers have improved GI. And that comes in the form of reduced bloating, reduced pain, uh, reduced diarrhea, constipation, just an overall better GI health, which you might imagine, okay, well, if you're digesting your sugars better, you would actually have improved digestion all the way through the system. But we also have seven out of 10 of our customers reporting reduced sugar cravings. And I just find this one so fascinating because we know the gut and the brain are linked to each other and there are signals going back and forth. So if your body is metabolizing sugars better, might that explain why now your brain isn't saying like, we need more sugars. And so that is a huge thing. I think for a lot of people, we know we should eat less sugars, but having the reduced cravings is really helpful for actually avoiding less sugars, uh, actually avoiding more sugars. Um, but some of the other outcomes are like improved energy, reduced brain fog, losing that kind of after lunch slump that many of us experience, better sleep. These are all things that we weren't anticipating, but I think as a result of improving the way your body metabolizes glucose, you're getting all these secondary okay. benefits that are related to that. Yeah. I mean, it just shows cool. when you improve the gut, how many other things are impacted. It's so powerful. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And I would say it's funny too, because we just did a recent survey of a bunch of our, we're like constantly serving our customers. We're like, tell us more. We want to learn. We want to learn. And so in this recent survey, it was like, you know, why do you take the product and why did you first start taking the product and why do you now take the product? And it was so interesting to see people say like, well, I first started taking the product to help, you know, my glucose metabolism or to help my A1C. But now I take the product because I have so much more energy when I'm on the product. And so, um, oh, cool. it's just interesting to see that transformation of what the value is that better glucose control can bring to your life. Yeah. Yeah. So I started using pendulum and I would love to talk about my, I, at this point, it's sort of a short term experiment, but, um, I was wearing my CGM and started taking it and I Im immediately, I I'm still you know, trying to wrap my head around this, but immediately my glucose was stabilized and I wasn't trying super hard to affect the results or the data. And I was eating things that, you know, and historically for me have gone one direction or the other, something like chickpeas, which generally will spike me, especially if I eat them in the middle of the day. And I eat them in a salad, which normally I'd be like, okay, make sure I have my protein and my fat and like do all the right things. And I sort of just like ate it and, and didn't care. And I checked my glucose. I was like, whoa, like hardly any excursion whatsoever. I was like, this can't be right. And it was like the next meal was the same. The next meal was the same. 
So it's so interesting to me with Pendulum, the research is showing that you're really seeing a difference in three months, which is also when we start to see a difference in A1C, but you potentially could start to feel effects immediately, right? I know we talked about this a little bit before we hit record, but can you share with our audience what's happening immediately and how is that possible that so quickly you could see a change? Yeah, I mean, we are definitely getting reports from customers that um, experience a change much more uh, quickly than what we studied in our clinical trial. And, um, you know, we picked the three month time frame because that's how long it takes to see an A1C change because that's how long it takes for your red blood cells to turn over. But it's not necessarily true that that's how long it takes for the product to take effect for people. And what we're learning in the real world is that there are some people who get these really immediate effects. And the idea behind this, and again, I'll just preface this with this is a hypothesis, so I don't have data to support this, but I think the sort of um, idea behind that would be if you're starting microbiome and your starting kind of health state is really conducive to these microbes taking a hold and having their activity, you could see something faster. So it is about the microbes making their way into your GI and actually um, establishing themselves and starting to produce butyrate and how quickly your body allows them to engraft and how quickly your body responds to that butyrate can be the difference between seeing something in a matter of days or in a matter of months, or even for some people, you know, it could be longer than that. And so I think what we do, this is part of what we really don't understand is we really don't understand the human body fundamentally, but we don't understand for some people what makes this thing work faster and for other people, what makes it work slower. And then I'll kind of go to the other side of that equation, which is that in our trial, we did a washout period, uh, you know, as we were saying about good experimentation, where we said, stop taking the pills for four weeks. And then we want to see what happens. And for most people after that, they kind of do go back, back to baseline. You know, you can't see the strains anymore, but for a small percentage for about 15% of people, even after they stopped taking the pills for a month, they still had the strains. And so on the other side of this could be that there's something about your body that allows those strains to, now you've given them back, it allows them to continue to inhabit your gut microbiome. And so we just really don't understand uh, all, all of this individualized part. Yeah. Well, wow. one, I hope I'm in that 15%, but two, I've always thought of myself, at least like with biohacking, it's so hard for me to move the needle because I do so many things. So I don't generally see like a, a dramatic shift when I start new protocols or try new therapies. But for this, it was, I, I guess you're right. My body or my biome was just primed and ready for a small shift to actually produce an outcome that I, I felt. So I, I'm, I'm blown away by it. And in like such a short period of time, and I can't wait to see over time how that changes and how I feel energy wise, um, you know, all the benefits that you mentioned. It's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you're measuring. And so that really helps too with, you know, making it a real, you know, you're looking at these numbers and you're seeing real data come out. And um, I'll just say, you know, you're definitely not alone. We get reports like that, you know, from lots of different people who are taking measurements and high performance athletes who are seeing a difference in their performance, um, you know, related to how they're metabolizing glucose. And so I just think it's, I mean, for me, selfishly, I love hearing these stories because it just feels so good to have made something that is helping people in so many different ways. Um, so I love hearing that. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry to keep talking, but um, <laughs> Renee, I know you want to jump in. I just, I'm so excited that potentially I could create an ideal microbiome where I can start incorporating foods that I have sort of put on this bad list for me. 
I, I feel like I've started to learn my body and by tracking my glucose, I'm like, I know I can eat this. I know I can't eat that. And I, I'm really excited to maybe start trying those things that went on the naughty list. Like, can I start digesting them again. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point, there are things that are some things on your naughty list that aren't on somebody else's naughty list. And so if you can start eating them again and you're digesting them properly, it'll be even better. It's not just like, Oh, now I can eat these things that were on my naughty list. Now you'll be extracting nutrients from them that are going to make you healthier that you didn't have access to before. Totally. Yeah. yeah I'm talking about like point. berries, not like, I know you're not, I knew you're not even more like, uh, actually, you know, like chocolate cake. It was going to be something that, you know, you're yeah, like cherries. <laughs> yeah. You're naughty yeah. less yeah. quote unquote. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, cause I'm thinking the same thing. Like I always go back to pineapple, like pineapple spikes mine so high. And I'm curious to see as I keep taking pendulum, if that changes and I didn't have the same reaction as Lauren. I, I, don't, I don't have my CGM on anymore, so I'm not seeing that fluctuation, but I'm going to pull my keto mojo out and start experimenting with different foods because I appreciated that you said people are seeing all these other things, boost in energy, better sleep, all of that. Because for me, I'm not necessarily taking pendulum just for that, you know, the A1C and the fasting glucose, like my A1C is 4.3. My fasting glucose is around 73. Like, does it go lower? (laughs) Does the A1C go lower maybe? But I'm very curious to see what other impact. And Colleen, I think you had mentioned to me before that you were studying people with chronic fatigue syndrome and you saw a difference in the microbiome. And I dealt with chronic fatigue in my twenties. And so maybe my gut is still impacted. So I'm curious to see if it impacts my energy and brain function. So stay tuned. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I cannot wait to hear your story and uh, what happens for you. But, you know, I think, um, yeah, chronic fatigue syndrome and maybe, you know, things like IBS, there are all these symptoms that people experience for which medicine doesn't have an explanation nor a cure. And so it's, I think the microbiome offers this big opportunity as an explanation for what's we haven't really been able to figure out until now. Um, and I will say about A1C, the goal is not to be zero. Um, <laughs> A1C basically refers to your hemoglobin, a, your hemoglobin A1C cells. And when you have a lot of circulating sugar, your body starts to attach these sugars to your red blood cells. And so, um, the, the measurement of A1C being too high means that when you get a certain percentage of your cells that have these sugars attached, it's too high. It's an indication that you have too many free sugars circulating in your blood. However, you want some of those red blood cells to have sugars attached to them because that's how your brain gets sugar. So zero is not the goal. I just wanted to be clear about that because I myself had to understand like, what is the goal number we're trying to reach? It's not zero. So that brings me to my next question. Is there anyone that shouldn't be taking pendulum? Well, I think this is the nice thing about natural products is that, and and you're introducing it to an ecosystem. So we're not introducing something that is a small molecule drug that could take over all of your natural systems and really cause all of these problematic side effects. I mean, I was in the drug world. That was the number one thing you always worried about is like, okay, but if I give this really potent thing, what else is it messing up? Because it's foreign to the body. In this case, your body already has systems set up to keep that ecosystem alive. And because we're not saying go to take an antibiotic and then flood your system with these strains are really saying, take what your natural 
way of living is, and now introduce something new into your body that your body has ways to, to kind of regulate and check so that it doesn't get totally out of control. And that is the beauty of a natural product. And so I would say that, you know, if you're looking to reduce your blood glucose spikes and you're looking to improve your A1C, um, and you have type two diabetes or pre-diabetes or obesity, this is definitely the right thing to try. If you're healthy, but you're trying to reduce your blood sugar spikes because you know that it's important that your body metabolizes sugars well, this is the product for you. If you are trying to, if you don't even know anything about blood glucose or what your A1C is or anything like that, but you experience things that have changed for you, like, wow, now I have more brain fog, or now I get really tired after lunch, or I just feel like my energy is a little bit lower, it's worth trying because your body has its own way of regulating this. And there might be something that you don't even know that's happening that you can unlock. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned the concern around side effects, because like, let's take metformin. That's a drug, but a lot of people in the biohacking and anti-aging world are taking it now for the blood sugar control. But what about the side effects? I mean, I think I've heard B12 deficiency and I'm sure you can list off some other things. So I love that this is an opportunity to still see that blood sugar regulation without the negative side effects. Absolutely. I mean, the safety is, I think the big opportunity here, you know, I'm, I'm on the product. My 12 year old daughter is on the product. My 70 year old mother is on the product. So it's really something that has a safety that you'd give to your family. That's amazing. Great. Yeah. Really cool. This will be the, um, do you have any dietary recommendations to go with the product? Obviously we talk a lot about the basics here and if you're not making food and environmental changes, taking supplements probably isn't going to really move the needle for you. Uh, is there anything basic that you would suggest? And if you're not able to make drastic dietary changes, is it still worthwhile to take? Absolutely. Well, all of our, our trial work has um, not required any dietary changes. So people just took the pills. And I think that for us, that was a very deliberate move because I mean, it's hard to change your diet. I mean, I personally, I can't diet. I'm terrible at it. I'm like always the cheater. So <laughs> I, I have been asked to keep diet logs in my past. And I realized that, oh, I can keep a diet log, but then there'll be these like big sections of empty pages because that's when I didn't want to write down all the things I was doing that were terrible. So I was really hard to change your diet. And so we didn't want to make that a requirement for the product to work. That being said, we do know that fiber feeds these microbes. And so any introduction of fiber into the diet will help them to take foothold much more quickly, will help them to continue to engraft and propagate more quickly. And so um, introducing higher fiber foods into your diet uh, is really is really helpful. That's great. Is there a recommended uh, goal for fiber every day? like a certain number of grams. Oh, I think there, I mean, from the nutrition standpoint, there's a recommended, recommended amount of fiber. And I think it's, uh, actually, I don't want to say, cause it's, I'm probably going to be wrong, okay. but um, I think I've I heard do, like 20, 25 to 30. Yeah. I want to say it's definitely in the double digits and that most Americans are sitting in the low single digits for how much fiber they get every day. So there's a lot, yeah. there's a lot of room there to get to the right recommended amount. Yeah. Right. And well, and sure. then we have someone like Dr. Casey, who I think you're familiar with. She's saying like 75 grams, which I'm like, how on earth do you even do that? <laughs> like we are so you. far. <laughs> I agree with you. I don't know how that's done either, but I will give this warning, which is that, um, whatever the amount of fiber is that you normally have in your diet, do not overnight, just dump a bunch of fiber because you will be in a lot of pain and your bathroom better be nice because that's where you're going to be hanging out. So, you know, moderately yeah. increase. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Good <totally>. recommendation. 
<laughs> Otherwise, yeah. you're just going to demonize Fiverr. You're going to be like, nope, never again. Nope. Not for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely go slow with it. Um, yeah, and then speaking of fiber, how about prebiotics? Now, is there a prebiotic in Pendulum already? Yes. So this is, it's a symbiotic. So it has both the probiotic strains and the prebiotic in there. Um, and actually when we did our first trial, what we found was that, um, if you only delivered the strains by themselves without the prebiotic, it was far less efficacy than if you had the two together. And I often think of it like, you know, if you were going to drop me on a deserted Island, um, I would also like you to drop me off with a cooler full of sandwiches and beers, please, because I don't want to just be there by myself. I want to have my food. And that's, that's really the concept behind this is to give the strains plus the food that feeds them all in the same pill. And that's also why we didn't want to require dietary changes because we're really delivering the whole package in the pill. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I appreciate you doing that. You're making it easier for all of us. So that's great. I think we can start to wrap up. Is there anything else that you would recommend to our audience? I mean, we're just so excited about this product. Is there anything they should know about getting it, about incorporating it? What else do we need to know? Well, um, I'll, I'll get to that, but I'm actually curious to hear from you guys, you know, where do you, cause you, you do a lot of listening and a lot of learning clearly, where do you think the most kind of misinformation or misunderstanding is out there around glucose control or the microbiome or the two together? You know, what do you think people are, are missing or maybe misinformed about? I think this is probably a really basic answer, but I think most people still think that glucose is only affected by food, not necessarily by stress, environment, sleep, exercise. Like I, um, I work with clients that wear CGMs and they're, it's like, they're, I see their eyes just like widening when I'm like, let's talk about your sleep. Let's talk about how much water you're guzzling while you're eating. And it's like, they look at me like, why on earth would that matter? Like I'm not eating sugar. <laughs> so I think there's just like this lack of a comprehensive understanding of how our body or, or how like our entire system could be affected in this way. Yeah. And I would say just to add on to that, I think a lot of people don't understand the bio-individual component of it. And that's a big goal of this podcast is to get to pe get people to understand that everyone is so different. And that's why we love using the Keto Mojo or the CGM so you can see how different you are from your spouse or your friend or whoever. You know, the idea of the glycemic index. I'm still hearing people talk about that, the glycemic index and the glycemic load. And I'm like, but it's so different for everyone. And I think the only way you're going to really know that is by testing right? Test, don't guess. So do the keto mojo, do the CGM, figure out what you should be eating. Like for me, I had pizza the other night. It was fine on my blood sugar, but then I had a banana with almond butter and my blood sugar spiked. Like how, you know, how would I know that if I wasn't testing it? So I think the bio-individual component is, is still new to a lot of people. Yeah, I think um, both of those points are so important, you know, understanding that all these systems are really integrated with each other and that the, your makeup is different from somebody else's makeup. And so you really need to be exploring on your own what's working for you. And I think, you know, the microbiome is really cool because it is one more system that we haven't really fully understood before, or even really knew what role it played. And so, and it is a part of the individualized component and you, unlike your genetics, you can change it and you are changing it all the time. And so that's why sometimes what works for you now doesn't work for you later on is because you've got this dynamic system in your body that is constantly changing and evolving with you. And we're just starting to understand like, how does that integrate with the other systems in our body and how can we change it? 
Right. It is so fast. I think if you just clean up your diet for three days, you'll feel a difference. I mean, it is so quick how quickly you can change that. It doesn't take Absolutely. years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I think just targeting this marketing confusion around probiotics, like just trying to <laughs> get people to slow down, not rush to like a CVS to buy whichever probiotic looks the prettiest on the shelf. I'm not yeah. saying most people do that, but or the yogurt. So much confusion. The probiotic yogurts. Yeah. Things like that. Tons of sugar and flavor in them. Oh, <laughs> right. I know yogurts are terrible. Yogurts are terrible with, when they have all the added sugars in them and you think you're doing something good. I mean, I remember even I myself was giving my kids yogurt for a long time until, you know, you start really looking at the ingredients and you realize there's so much sugar in this. Like I'm killing you with this like so-called health. Yeah. Yeah. You're, like, you're actually impacting the microbiome, but not in the way that you're intending to. Oh, totally. Like if you ever given, you know, a kid, a yogurt, and then wonder why there are spaz, it's because there's so much in there. Yeah. Yeah. I I was just at the grocery store. Sorry to kick you off. I was just at the store this morning and I wanted to get some yogurt because I'm from, I don't eat a ton of dairy, but I do like to incorporate yogurt. There were three full fridges of yogurts and I couldn't find a single yogurt that was just plain, not flavored without sugar. Wow. single one. That's crazy. I'm in North Carolina right now. Just to, if anyone's <laughs> like, but you go to Whole Foods in New York. In New York yeah. <laughs> I'm in North Carolina in the suburbs. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And it is crazy because there's not a demand for that. And so therefore people can't even get access to what's the, the, the right yoga for them. But yeah, I think this education component is a really important thing. And so I would say, you know, the takeaway message for people is to know that your microbiome is a really important part of your health and just be aware of it. And, and, and I think it's one of those things too, where I don't know if you've ever gotten a new car, but you know, when you get a new car, all of a sudden you look on the road, you're like, Oh, there's my car. There's my car. There's my, like you never noticed it before. The microbiome yeah. is the same way. As soon as you start to think about it and look around you, you'll you're going to see it everywhere. Everyone's talking about it. And so I think no, being just aware that the microbiome is an important part of your health and starting to learn about it, I think is a big takeaway message. And the second is that ask, what is my probiotic doing for me? What do I want it to do for me? What are the functions that I want this thing to deliver for me? And then really seek out things that have clinical and scientific evidence behind them. It's really hard to do with the way marketing is done and the way labeling is done. It's very hard to differentiate good from bad out there. So, you know, talk to your nutritionist, talk to your dietitian, talk to your doctor, try to figure out who are the experts that I can go to that are going to help me differentiate um, something that doesn't even have what they say is in the bottle, uh, between something that's actually going to help me with my health. And so I think those are my two big pieces of advice. Be aware of the microbiome, talk to your professional about what's going to help you. Yeah. Great. Yeah. You need someone that you can trust that can seed through the information because it really is information overload in 2021. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So Colleen, before we wrap up, we like to always ask our guests for one piece of advice that our audience could take away, something they could start working on immediately, you know, before they get pendulum, (laughs) something they can do to optimize their health or nutrition, or maybe even just mental, emotional state. If you have any advice you'd like to impart. Yeah. I mean, you guys probably get, and everyone's always inundated with lots of advice on, you know, get better sleep or meditate or, or all these things. And and I would say, um, maybe my advice would be to kind of take one step back from that and just recognize 
the stressful situation we're all in, recognize that there are a lot of things that are happening to you that are outside of your control and that that's okay. And really come um, and, and be at peace with that. I think a lot of us are constantly seeking out, how do I make things better? How do I improve things? But I think there's a value to just an acceptance that there are a lot of things out of your control and um, kind of letting go of that. And then go online and buy pendulum glucose control so that you can get that control back. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is I something need... you have control over. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. That first bit of advice is um, needed for me at this moment. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Colleen. We love this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. We want to send our audience to any resources that you have. So Pendulum, the website, is there anywhere else that they can learn more about you or the company? Pendulumlife.com is where you can learn all about the product and also about the company and um, reach out to us with any questions. Um, Customer service is a really, really important part of our company and our mission. And so you will get a human interacting with you, uh, not a bot on the other side. And so we really encourage people to just ask questions. This is a new approach. Uh, the microbiome is a new space and, and we're here just as much to serve as a resource as we are to provide the intervention. So please reach out to us, pendulumlife.com. And I just wanted to thank you guys so much for just having this podcast and uh, helping bring information to the world. And then also for having me on it. I really had a really fun time actually talking to you. Thank you oh, so thank much. Thank you. Thank this you. So great. We're honored that you spent some time with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. So thank you, Colleen. And thank you everyone for tuning in today. And we will see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. Happy biohacking.